please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, in God's Word. And while we're turning there, maybe uh, everybody at home on Zoom will remember just to check and make sure you're muted. We, we heard somebody's voice a couple minutes ago. I do hope you've all enjoyed our time in the Psalms this summer. We're going to spend one more week in the Psalms, and then in September we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but today we're going to look at Psalm 90, uh, next week Psalm 91, and then we're going to start a new series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, today we're going to begin our reading with just verses 1 through 11. Beloved saints, this is God's Word, which He has given for us. Uh, this is a psalm written by Moses, and so you think about uh, how old this passage is, and yet it has been preserved for us to read and hear and learn from uh, this morning. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's Word. A prayer of Moses, the man of the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Let us pray that God would be pleased to minister to us through his word as we spend our our time in it this morning. Your word, O Lord, is indeed a lamp to our feet, is our guide through this dark world. Your word is wisdom and truth that is ours to follow each day. And your word is truly sweeter than the sweetest of honeys, and yet it is sharper than the sharpest of swords or scalpels. It's healing and justice, and it's to be obeyed. Your word is our understanding of grace, our understanding of peace, and our understanding of love. And this is the reason why we draw near to it. And so we ask that you would speak to us in your word. Be with us this morning, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things our children have to learn uh, because of limited resources is wisdom. And we hopefully, maybe not always, but hopefully we, we see them learn this when they're young. And it can be a heartbreaking lesson. You know what it's like. You're in a store and they see something on the shelf and it's, it's, it's new and it's shiny and it looks fun. And they want it. They had never thought of it before this moment. They didn't even know it existed before this moment. But now that they've seen it, they have to have it. 
and they've been saving up and the money's in their pocket and they make that decision and they buy it. And then the next day what happens? They remember what they've been saving their money for and the tears come because that was more important. That's what they really wanted but now the money is gone and in a moment of desire they spent what they had been saving and so they do, they, they come crying to the parent. What can I do, they ask. And you have to tell them, the money's gone. And it's heartbreaking, but it's an important lesson because the absolute worst thing a parent could do at that moment is pull out some money and say, well, here, I know how much it meant to you. You can have both. Because we have to learn. It's, it's absolutely essential that we learn that in reality, in order to say yes to one thing, we have to learn to say no to something else. Because it's only when we have to do that that we learn what it means to prioritize. Where, where we learn to, to decide what's more important and what's, what's more lasting rather than what's fleeting and trivial and exciting and shiny and new. Because a parent who buys his child everything teaches that child to always expect to get anything they want, to think that our resources are inexhaustible, that there will always be more money, that you'll never have to make a choice, never have to prioritize, never decide what's more important. You'll never ever have to say no to something you want in order to hold on to something that's more important. And what happens? A child who expects everything is seldom, if ever, grateful for what that child has because it's never enough. Without knowing what it means to go without, he has no way to judge what it means to be blessed, to have something. And so a child who learns to go without seems to always be grateful for for what he or she has, even if it's very little. And a child who never goes without is never thankful, even in the abundance of possessions. What happens to that child when he grows older? We know what happens. Having no ability to evaluate, no discipline to say no, he will just rack up debt because he will say no to nothing until eventually his world comes crashing down because he has spent way beyond his means. And yet here's the thing. Money is not the only resource that's limited. Perhaps one of the most precious and most limited resources you have is time. How many times have you said there are simply not enough hours in the day? How many times have you heard somebody uh, approaching the end of life going, you know what, it, It went by so fast, it was much shorter than I thought it would be. And this is what Psalm 90 is about. As I said earlier, it was written by Moses. It's the only psalm in the Psalms written by Moses. And it's perfect to read after Psalms 88 and 89. It's almost like God planned it that way. Uh, Psalm 88 painted a picture of our broken and fallen world. This world is hard. It's broken. It's, it's not what it's supposed to be. And that should make us sad. That should teach us to lament. 
Psalm 89 came along and said, but remember in the midst of that, that things are not always how they appear. When it looks like evil is winning, don't be fooled. When it looks like all hope is lost, don't despair. And now Psalm 90 turns and asks, how are you supposed to live in this life? What are you supposed to learn? What matters most? And what does a wise life, as opposed to a foolish life, look like in this broken and fallen world where not all things are what they appear? And my hope as we look at this beautiful psalm is is really to drive home this one point. A heart of wisdom recognizes that while your days on earth are few, how you use them determines where you will spend eternity. While While our days on this earth are few, what we do with those days matters for eternity. That's really what Psalm 90 drives home. Uh, because there are only so many days on this earth. And, and when you're young, you don't accept that. You, you know people die, but you think you'll live forever. And as we, as we get older, we struggle with the limited number of days we have left. And much of wisdom is learning to recognize where your true home is. And so that's where we're going to start today. We're learning to recognize our true home. And then after that, we want to look at sin and its consequences, what it does to us, what it does to our worlds and our lives. And then finally, we want to see what a wise life looks like in view, in the face of that sin. So that's where we want to look today. Where it's a true home, what is sin and what are its consequences, and how does God call us to live in light of all of that? That's really our, our plan this morning. Now, we've all heard something like this, whether in real life or a movie. You know, there's a young couple in love, and the young man has to move far away. And he's afraid the the, the girl won't go with him, and she assures him she will. And he says, "But, but your family and your friends, your life is here, your home is here. And she responds, we all know what's next. My home is with you. And the meaning is as plain as it is simple. A home is not defined by a structure, by a location. What she's saying is, I I belong with you. Anywhere you are, that's my home. Others have said it this way, "Your, your home is where your heart is. Isn't this exactly what Ruth said to Naomi? When Naomi urged her, go back to your parents. And and Ruth responded with that beautiful statement. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth was simply saying to her mother-in-law, Naomi, my, my home is with you. And this is how Psalm 90 begins. It's not a young couple. It's not a woman and her mother-in-law. It's Israel and her God. And Moses declares for the people, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our home in all generations. And what's interesting is this is written by Moses, most likely during the 40 years in the wilderness. As a people, the, the... Abraham and his descendants, think about where they had lived. Abraham originally lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. 
He sojourned to the, the promised land, which would become Israel. They lived there for a while until the food ran short. And then, and then in the days of Jacob, they, they went down to Egypt, where they spent 400 years, were eventually enslaved. And now, they're, they're in no man's land. They're in the wilderness. And the temptation would be to say, you're nomads. You're, you're wanderers. You're, you're homeless. But Moses knows that, that their God has been with them at every step of the way, whether that's in Ur or the Promised Land or Egypt or now in this wilderness. And if he is with them, they are never alone. They are never homeless. Because home is where your heart is. And if their heart is with their God, then, then they're at home as long as they're with him. And then he, he sort of says, this is nothing new. He goes back to the beginning, back to creation and before. Because the one constant in all of history is God. He was there before creation. And he has been there since. He will be with them forever. And so verse 2 makes that beautiful statement. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is what matters the most. That's, that's the confession. No matter where we go, what we do, what age we live in, you are our God, you are our home, you are what is most important. And that means that back in the beginning, what made the Garden of Eden special was not the plants it contained or its climate or its geographic location. It was God's presence. The Bible says it was his garden. He placed the man and the woman in his garden. He's what made it special. He's what made the Garden of Eden home to Adam and Eve. And the same could be said of the promised land. It, it was his gift to his people. It's where he met with them and dwelt with them and provided for them. He's what made it special. He's what made it home. For God's people, home is where God is. And that means ultimately our home is in heaven. This is what the Bible means in Philippians when it says that our citizenship is in heaven. That that, that is really our homeland because God is there, because he is our home. And in many ways, we are like Israel wandering through that wilderness. And yet on that journey, we are not homeless. On that journey, we are not alone because God is with us. He's with us even here. Or, or, or another way of putting it is, if we have God, if we, if we have peace with him, we really have all we need. But there's something that can destroy that peace. That can, that can leave a person without God, without a home. That destroyer of peace, that, that killer of relationships, that home wrecker is what we call sin. Sin is, is any disobedience to God's commands. And there are different ways we can break God's commands. It can be something, it can be doing something that He has forbidden, like adultery or theft or murder. 
or it can be failing to do something he has commanded, like honoring your parents or his day each week. We humans have uh, two delusions when it comes to sin. The first is uh, we have convinced ourselves that we are far better than we really are. That, that generally being a good person, a productive member of society, means that we're not really sinners. We fail to admit that every stray thought, every unkind word that hurts others, every lustful look, every half-truth or, or manipulated version, each of these is a sin. But more dangerous is the delusion that we think we can hide our sins. That as long as nobody knows we're okay, we're safe. We think that if others don't know, that God doesn't know. And it's against these delusions that Moses confesses that that God knows our secret sins, verse 8, and that he is angry, verse 7. And so while Moses confesses on the one hand that God is their true home, no matter when or where they are, he also confesses that they have all sinned and that, that not one sin has been hidden from God. That they've broken his commandments, that they've, they've done violence to his truth, and that they rightly deserve his anger and worse. Because God's anger leads somewhere. It leads to death. Because, because of sin, people die. And they decompose and they return to dust. And that's what God told Adam would happen in Genesis 3. From dust you came to dust you will return. Because, because you have sinned against me. I warned you the wages of sin is death. And death is coming. And it didn't just affect Adam, but all his children. In fact, uh, verse 3 literally says, You return to dust, O children of Adam. Generation after generation, century after century, millennia after millennia. This is the constant truth. Death is coming for all. All will return to dust. None escape. And God, who is eternal, has been watching over this from the beginning. None have escaped his notice. None have convinced him that they are without sin. Not one person in history escaped the grave. And God's perspective is wholly unlike ours. When, when a child has to wait a week for something, let's be honest, when a child has to wait an hour for something, it seems like forever. But for someone in their 80s, a year rushes by in the blink of an eye. Time changes perspective. But what if you were eternal? What if you had no beginning and no end? What if, what if you're not constrained by time, but actually had created time? Then? <laughs> then it would be hard to distinguish a, a day from a thousand years. 
God has stood watch over creation since the beginning. He's, he's never grown weary. He's never grown tired. His mind is sharp. His perspective is perfect. And, and this is what he would have us know. People have come and people have gone. Kingdoms have risen and, and fallen. Fortunes have been made and lost. But not one person has escaped death. Some have lived longer and some shorter, but none have beaten it. A robust life is 70 or 80 years. Some might live into their 90s and go skydiving. Maybe even a bit longer. But all of us face that day when life on this earth comes to an end. And so the great question that we're meant to ask is in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who, in rightful respect for your power, your, your righteousness, your goodness, truly considers your power and your anger about their sin? What happens when it's all over? What happens when you stand before God who created you and, and, and knows every sin you have ever committed, every secret sin is laid bare? What happens when you can no longer hide and your time is up? This is what Moses is wrestling with and, and, and wants us to wrestle with. He's saying, God, our rightful place is with you. You are our home, but, but you know us. You know our sin. You know how we have destroyed our peace with you. And we know your anger. We know your wrath. We know that it rightly falls on us. We know this well. And we know that the clock is ticking. And that our days are few. These are the realities that so many of us spend our time trying to hide from, deny, or ignore. They're unpleasant truths. These are unpleasant questions. But here's the thing. Ignoring things doesn't make them go away. It just avoids dealing with them. And that's the opposite of what Moses wants for his people. Let's read the last few verses, verses 12 through 17. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. 
in verse 12, Moses moves from confession to petition. He makes a request. He says, Father, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And wisdom is different than knowledge. The most brilliant PhD can be an absolute and utter fool. And the most uneducated and illiterate person you've ever met might be one of the wisest people you ever meet. Knowledge is knowing facts. Wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts. Knowledge is knowing that all men die. Wisdom is knowing what to do about it while you have time. A fool says, I only have so many days on this earth, and so I will indulge every desire, serve myself above all others, because I've only got one go around on this big ball. A wise person says, I only have so many days on this earth, and how I spend them, the decisions I make here, will affect eternity And so I better act wisely. Like that kid staring at the shiny toy, we have to acknowledge that we only have so many days and what we do today affects tomorrow. If you refuse to make God your home in this life, you would be a great fool to think he will be your home in the next. If you deny, ignore, and reject him. If you deny, ignore, and reject your sin, and you think that he will believe you when you say, I didn't do anything wrong. Or if you you come up with a few things that you think he has done that that weren't as as kind and as open-minded and fair as you would have him, that you think that you somehow have some moral high ground to hold over God, then you're like that child who spends everything in his pocket on that new and shiny toy and can't figure out why the next morning he's broke. Because the only one you fooled is yourself. The wise man accepts that God has been around since the beginning and he will be there at the end. He's the only one we really need to be ready to meet. And his ways are perfect. He does not need to explain himself. He knows everything and nothing you have done, thought, or said is hidden from him. And your hope, your only hope, is for him to have mercy. Isn't that what Moses prays for in verses 13 and 14? Have mercy on us so that we might face your eternity with joy and not dread. This is what numbering our days is meant to teach us. This is what wisdom looks like and what we're meant to learn in this life. You only have so many days. And what you do with those days matters for eternity. Don't be foolish. Live with the end in sight. Did you notice the inscription at the top? It doesn't say a psalm of Moses. 
like a psalm of Asaph, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a psalm of David. We, we've seen that inscription so many times. It says, a prayer of Moses. This is, a, this is a prayer of intercession. This is Moses praying for the people. And there are a few occasions when Moses interceded for the people. Each time, they were this close to, close to annihilation, to death. And Moses pled with God on their behalf. At one such time was at the foot of Sinai. You might remember the, the mountain was covered with smoke and lightning and fire. And God said, anyone who touches this mountain will die. And the people said, Moses, why don't you head up the mountain for us? Thanks, guys. But Moses knew something about his people. He knew that they were still rebellious and they weren't ready to face eternity. But he was at peace. He knew he was. He wanted, he longed to enter the promised land. That was his one prayer for himself. Lord, let me see the promised land. But he knew his people needed help. And if he didn't go up that mountain and intercede, it would be the end of them. They weren't ready, but he was. And so he went up the untouchable mountain in order to pray for his people, knowing that it meant certain death for him. The psalm may very well have been written that day. And his prayer was not for the people's comfort, but that they would realize that their days were few so they might get ready. He wasn't like that parent who just keeps pulling out more money and says, you don't need to make hard decisions. He prayed, Lord, teach them just how short life is. Teach them to know just how limited their days are so that he might have hearts of wisdom and seek you. He didn't pray for their comfort, at least not their temporal comfort. Because he knew at some level their discomfort was essential in order to give them wisdom. And every parent and every good leader knows that some discomfort is essential to learning what is most important. This is what Moses prayed for the people. They had a good and and wise intercessor. And we have one as well. Like Moses, Jesus is our intercessor. The Bible says that he ever lives to intercede on our behalf. But unlike Moses, Jesus did not ascend a mountain to intercede. He descended from heaven to intercede. He came to us knowing that it would mean certain death. He took on flesh and blood he became man, which, which means that, that the eternal God who, who knew no beginning and no end entered into a reality where his days would be numbered. Uh, the immortal God looked down the barrel of mortality and accepted it. 
And as he did, and as he, as he prepared to go to that cross, John 17 records this beautiful prayer, this prayer of intercession that he prays for us. And he asked the Father not to spare us from adversity, but that we would learn to love him and others. That we would learn what really matters. Some things are more important than our earthly lives. A fool thinks that he can hold on to what is temporary and not lose what's eternal. The wise person knows that you must say no to one in order to say yes to what's more important. So Jesus led the way in this. He let go of his earthly life in order to save those he loved. He, He let his days be few, a lot shorter than 70 or 80 years. He stood in the place of those he loved and he gave his life in order to save others. And now he calls us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. That we would learn to be grateful for the days that that we have though they are limited resources because they force us to appreciate what a gift they are. that we would learn that God is our home and that if we have him, we have all we need. Allowing death to consume him was possibly the most profound statement Jesus could ever make. Because it was a reminder that death comes to all. It was a reminder that some things are more important than this life. And it was also a reminder that God's mercy, his pity, his grace is available to any who would turn to him from their sin and seek after him. And so every week, he reminds us of that death. In the Lord's Supper, it's it's a, a visible picture of his death. And it speaks to us. It preaches to us. It says something. It says, number your days that you might have a heart of wisdom, that you might be satisfied with God's eternal and steadfast love. And please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are our dwelling place. You are now and have always been For we have no home apart from you. And yet we sin, we rebel, we pursue foolish things. We think that we can have it all. But you know we must choose. Help us to see and to believe that you are always better, better than everything else. Help us to delight in nothing more than you. Give us hearts of wisdom so that one day, when this mortal life comes to an end, we will dwell with you in your heavenly home forever. Amen.